0: who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory where we discuss how to implement scientific principles for optimizing human performance. On today's episode we have Chris Meir, a professional MMA fighter and an s coach. Chris has fought professionally throughout Europe for a number of promotions, including Cage Warriors, ACMAT, BAMAT, and ACB. And if you wish to see some of Chris's fights, I've included some YouTube links in our show notes. In this episode, Chris goes through his experiences in MMA and discusses how his experiences within MMA have shaped his coaching approach when working with the next generation of fighters. Now, there are a number of factors involved when working with a fighter from grassroots level. All the way to professional level but Chris does such an excellent job synthesizing all of his experiences into a very rationalized coaching approach. In this episode he discusses the importance of communication, how consistency is key and how fighters maybe should spend more time developing their skill set. Whether you want to compete in MMA or you want to coach MMA this episode is for you. As always follow The Progress Theory on Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel here is Chris Mia Hey Chris, welcome to The Progress Theory. Thank you for coming on.
1: No problem. I'm uh, happy to be here, so thank you for inviting me.
0: Now, brilliant. I really wanted you on this podcast because one, I don't know too much about MMA, but two, I know obviously your work through St. Mary's uh, as you're currently on our master's degree programme. But it'll be interesting to really hear your approach to SNC delivery when it comes to MMA and fighting, but also the fact that you're a pro fighter yourself. So you've got a good balance of you know that skin of the game because you've been there, done that, and now you're also you know providing SNC support. So I'm really keen to hear all the stories that you have.
1: No, absolutely. Like I say, it was quite uh, humbling that you asked me to to come on. So I, I really uh, appreciate it, and hopefully can give you some insight into the sport a little bit more.
0: No, that would be brilliant.
1: Well, let's hear a little bit more
0: about you. Tell us about yourself.
1: So, I've just turned 30 last week. So, uh, oh, happy birthday. Yeah, yeah. So, move, moving a little bit more into my mature years. So, yeah, I've competed in mixed martial arts for about 12 years now. I've been a professional for 10 of those. alongside that I've always part of it was my parents doing they were kind of like you can pursue something but you need to have a a backup plan so I did a sports therapy degree while I was an amateur in mixed martial arts and then worked freelance but I always ended up towards more S&C work because of my own reading and sort of my own self-learning so alongside then my professional career I was working part-time to supplement Income because the sport is is still growing in that regard. Even though many a professional, I would say, were probably akin to a semi pro footballer, a semi pro rugby player in terms of actual infrastructure that we have in place right now. There's a few exceptions, but at, at the very high end. But as a whole, a professional is probably similar to semi pro in a lot of other sports. And then, really, I, w- I was all in on competing, and it was all a weird life circumstance led to me. I had a Bell's palsy condition after a a fight, which kind of put me on the shelf for 18 months. And that's when I kind of enrolled in St. Mary's in the MSC program. So then I started to obviously start doing the MSC program. I went and got my CSCS certification at the same time and delved a little bit more into the coaching world. Mm. I'd I'd always been coaching alongside competing anyway, but drove me towards a, a little bit more academia, which is something I wanted to do after my career. But as part of just to keep my mental headspace, and I like to always be working towards something. So when I couldn't mm. compete, the masters program f- like fitted brilliantly. I then went back and competed and won in the end of 2019, and, and now I'm kind of juggling many things in terms of making a decision on my own professional career. The the MSC, I'm coaching SNC a lot now, remote and in person. Remote's been a switch recently due to COVID over the past 12 months, and then also. Coming out of lockdown, I've just opened a amateur mixed martial arts club in my local area, which is very busy at the moment and taking up a lot of my time, which is something I really wanted to start to produce, which maybe we'll talk about in a little bit, but sort of like having a grassroots amateur sport foundation for mixed martial arts as well. So I'm kind of juggling wearing many hats at the moment, shall we mm. say?
0: Spinning many plates.
1: Yeah, yeah it's all immersed into the same stuff and, and I think each each facet kind of complements the other it might take away a little bit out of being the absolute best at you know I wish I could put more into the MSC program for example sometimes and sometimes I mm. wish I could train three times a day like I used to when I was younger and there's always something that gives but I think they all complement each other really well so that's where I'm at right now where I'm doing the MSC program I'm training, coaching a lot and offering a lot of support online to athletes as well. So it's a good time, really, especially coming out of lockdown and the world's slowly getting back to normal and competitions are coming up. It's quite an exciting time.
0: Yeah, I guess with everything coming back to normal and you spinning all of those plates, you know, the academic, the coaching and the the competing side, that kind of lends itself to see how well they all come together because you know you've allowed yourself to take a step back during COVID and work on those things separately and now it's like the fruits of your labour are really starting to to come out. So are you thinking of competing very soon?
1: I wish I had like more insight so oh yeah I was looking at competing in June at the end of June but there's been some kind obviously things like negotiations and promotions and I've probably shot myself in the foot a little bit because I do get quite sort of outspoken on certain topics (laughs) in the in the industry so to say but with competing for me now it would be for the right experience so if there's an opportunity to travel or have some new kind of experience whether it's fin- financial obviously always helps but some kind of international exposure or, or something that really interests me I, I will prepare yeah. and put things aside to do it but if not I'm happy to kind of do what I'm doing RE coaching certainly th- that takes a massive chunk of energy as you probably know yourself when you've worked with guys over the years that it's quite selfless coaching and then mm. I would argue that being an active fighter, you're almost the complete opposite. You have to be the most selfish person alive. Mm. So they are conflicting in that way. But for the right opportunity, I I will compete again. If not, I'll probably compete in in grappling as a a hobby alongside while I'm coaching. But it's always... uh, you could ask me on any given week and I'll give you a different answer at the moment. It's something I've got to come to terms with as an athlete. I guess we just, I'm sure many athletes have those thoughts when they start getting into the, the later years of the career. Yeah.
0: So, you, with how you pick a fight, your priorities have completely changed. So, what determines who you fight next is completely different to uh, how you chose a fight good four or five years ago.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So, I would say, you know, in, in my early to mid-20s, I, I had ambitions to be the you know, the UFC world champion and I wanted to be the absolute best fighter on the planet. Mm. And there weren't, maybe we were a pipe gym a little bit, but they, they were also quite realistic at, at that point in time. Even, I suppose, with my record, I've beat some very good opponents. But that's shifted now to what possible experiences can I have and tests can I have that will probably aid my coaching process down the line. Mm. So whether that's... You know, things like cutting weight travelling, things like fighting in in international countries where they don't speak English or all kinds of scenarios like that are only going to make me a better coach down the line. That's the way I view it right now, which is is a big change. And I've got to kind of make sure that I do things correctly to do so. But, yeah, there's definitely been a a perspective change from, you know, this is absolutely everything in my life. And I dedicated probably 10 years of my life to, to sport, you know, relationships, work, income friendships, all, all everything was dedicated towards may, whereas now I'm a little bit more like, let's see what we can get out of this to then pass on to the next generation yeah. of fighters and athletes.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're very much using yourself as a bit of a guinea pig. So you're choosing a particular fight where you know you might incorporate some problems, like you said, the language barrier, travel, all of those sort of things. So it's like, okay, find a strategy which you think is the best way forward with your, your race preparation Reflect on how it goes and then utilize that learning to into your own coaching with the other fighters that you work with
1: yeah and I, th- I think that's exactly where I'm at, at right now in terms mm. of the career obviously the, that's there's very different thought processes and that I mean I'll go to practice with our pro team in the mornings and I'll be thinking sometimes. I should just quit everything and go full-time again and just be selfish and, <laughs> and compete and try and be the best in the world. But then I'll have conversations with some of the guys at St. Mary's and thankful that I get to do that because it gives a completely different perspective yet, yet again. So it's uh, it's always bouncing back and forward a little bit. But uh, yeah, at the moment now, it's, it's almost being using myself as a little bit of a test bed, as a little bit of, of a guinea pig and, and seeing what experiences I can have or even just... I'm still in the practice room every morning and I'm trying things out. And that's only going to make me a, a better coach down the line. And, and that's probably where my long-term career is now, mm. is in coaching. And, and I've al- I've always done it but I, and I do really enjoy it. So hopefully uh, I can bring something to the sport from that.
0: I think that really shows how passionate you are about coaching. Because I can imagine watching other good fighters as like a pro-athlete like yourself and seeing them and think, oh, I wish I could get back in the octagon or wh- whatever it is, you know, you, that selfishness comes back. And I think everyone is is guilty of that. You know, the drive to want to push yourself is must be so strong, especially once you've reached the, the level that you have. So to have that, but also to have your drive to be an, an excellent coach just shows how powerful the passion that you have for coaching must be to supersede the want to be the best athlete that you want to be.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, and, and perhaps a, a slight detriment to my athletic career, potentially. But mm. like I said, I do think there's conflict, conflicting behaviours of an as to be a, an elite athlete and to be an elite coach. With coaching in, in a lot of the other team sports where you'll see a retired player potentially become a manager and some will really excel and some won't because they won't be able mm-hmm. to turn off their athlete kind of mindset of, which is usually quite quite a selfish one or a, maybe an entitled one. Whereas a, as a coach, he's a little bit more selfless. It's there for the team. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I would argue now it has reached that point of where coaching is more important to me and, and perhaps creating. I guess it's, I know we haven't really talked about how I completely started in a but I suppose it's like, I want to be the person that I wish I had. When I was working my way through the ranks and potentially a lot of the pitfalls and mistakes I made along the way, whether it's injuries, career choices, lifestyle choices, you can direct the younger generation into making a little bit smarter choices and being that kind of support f- for those that you perhaps didn't have.
0: Yeah, definitely. What, what got you into MMA? I think you on a separate conversation you said you got into MMA when you were about sixteen. Is that right?
1: So it was a it was a. T- Pretty stereotypical, really. Like I was, I was a small kid at school, bullied a little bit and whatnot. So, but then a lot of the circles I hung around in were quite troublesome as 16, 17. So, I, I also needed to the, the fundamental thing was to learn self defense, really, and uh, protect myself. And it just so happened that the, the club I went to was a mixed martial arts club. I thought I just went to go to a, a, like a boxing class to begin with. And it was a mixed martial arts club, which at that time were quite seldom in the UK. There wasn't tons of them. Mm. And it was home to a a gym called Gracie Baja Birmingham, which had probably one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes of all time there at the time, uh, called Brailleo Estima. And so the club was, the, the gym was in quite a big heritage it used to be called valetudo which was like no holds barred fighting and it it into mixed martial arts so it was just putt luck that that was the place i turned up at that decided to go and train i enjoyed it there it was a good vibe there it was almost like a second family although i don't train at that gym anymore i still see the owners that they're like second parents to me so it just steamrolled from that that you turn up and you start to do the different classes and, and and over time i had a knack for it so from a kid, had no confidence, no no self-confidence. As the more I did it, I actually was, you know, within six months, 12 months beating up grown men when I was 16, 17, and, and <laughs> had a knack for the sport. So it just steamrolled from there into learn to defend myself. To Oh, you should compete, have a few inter-club competitions. Day went well, have some amateur fights. Day went well couple of pro fights, they went well, and then all of a sudden people are going, you know what, you're actually like a really big prospect and you could be at international level. So it was never planned. If, if, if you asked people that probably went to school with me, they'd say you're probably the least likely person to have done such a sport. Yes. Yeah, so, so you, you just steamrolled then into a career and into my kind of career now as well.
0: That's a really cool story, just to see that you you landed in such a amazing environment. That helped you grow sounds like as a person as well as an athlete
1: yeah I mean I I speak to I'm quite lucky that I have a lot of of friends who are either retired fighters or mentors to me and I speak with a a friend regularly about things and and he's you know sometimes it's easy as an athlete to not be resentful but think you didn't do enough Mm. or you're unsatisfied because you're always craving more you're always craving something better something better but if I was to look back on My life at 16 and 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 then said that's what your life's gonna be like at 30 everything i wished for has come true but i want more and i want to be a world champ i want to be i always want more but if you were (laughs) to look back and go what the sports actually give me over the past decade it's probably everything i wanted at 16 17 and more you know Mm. so it's definitely helped me grow as as a person and as an athlete obviously i've improved along the years as well
0: i know you talk about wanting to give back the lessons that you've learnt To the the MMA fighters that you coach, or be that person that uh, you wish was around when you were 16 or just starting out. What would you say is the biggest thing you've learnt from your MMA career, which you hope to
1: pass on? I think the the biggest thing is synergy or integration of of everything. So, you know, your your lifestyle, what, what you have going on outside, just how you're living as an athlete, you know, relationship troubles, social life, work life, family life. All of those things have got to tie in then with what you're doing on the mat, what your skills development is, what your strength and conditioning is, what your nutrition is. They're not all separate pieces, and and you just push the button on one and train really hard. They kind of need, or, or you're gonna you're gonna break, and that's what I find happened to myself at numerous times through my career, where it was whether it was that I was just travelling loads to 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 get the best training in, or whether I wasn't I was cutting maybe too much weight at times, or things of that nature that led to burnout. I think everything's got to be synchronized in terms of skill development. There, there wasn't really a, a thought of skill development when I started. It was more like you know, there was a lot of local hardman training when I first started in mixed martial arts. And then it was like you did the individual disciplines. There's never been like an actual a synchronized program. There are now, probably the past three or four years, there's, there are really good mixed martial arts programs in the UK. But I think f- passing things on is trying to get, all things in check of your life and, and and perhaps having someone overseeing a little bit from an outside in. I have athletes now regularly that they're working 40-hour work weeks and they're saying, "Ah, oh, I want to do more here or here, but they're exhausted, they're run down and, and sometimes it's taking something away. For others mm. that don't work hard enough, it might be adding a little bit more. So just having sort of kind of an, an overarching theme that it's, it's it's a dangerous sport. So I think you need to be, all, all facets of your life need to be synchronized if you're going to be At the professional level, amateur level, you have a little bit more wiggle room. But I think at the professional level, you need to be all in on the sport and having all the pieces of the puzzle synchronized rather than not linking. Like your nutrition's terrible, but you're going training three times a day or you're not Mm. sleeping or you're working a 40-hour work week or you're traveling four hours to train every day. Something's going to give sooner or later. And and most of the problems in my career have come from one of those things being missing at one point in time and leading to burnout or injury or things of that nature
0: it sounds so multifactorial and having knowledge of how to balance all of those well we've talked about spinning plates being able to do that is so essential and now after you say that i can really understand why the way you are picking fights now to try and find out all of these other things which could influence this as well you know language barrier sleep travel all of those sort of things so if the the key thing you want to pass on is the ability to manage all of these different factors, it's needing to know all of the different factors or have experience all of these different factors to have a better understanding of how they can all interplay. Now, I can definitely see why, you know, that is one of the key things that you want to pass on to the MMA fighters that you want to work with.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think obviously that having a, a background in the skills of the sport will help generate a... Mm. Uh, sort of a, a continuity with what's going on in, in the sports practice and what's going on in, in strength conditioning because I think oftentimes in the past there's been big separation between the two where almost you almost like it was there's a saying too many cooks spoil the breath where you might have five different coaches you work with none of them talk they're all giving their own spin on training and conditioning then you're doing your strength work and, and again it's that kind of like synchronisation between all, all the different types. But I think having the ability to use skills to then also drive certain adaptations and things like that that kind of the thing that I'm really interested in from the standpoint of mixed of overseeing every all, all the different bits of from skill development to fight preparation to weight cuts to I'm happy to outsource as well. There's things that I don't know. And if I don't you can go, well, this person helped me here in my Experience and they're, they're more qualified in that area of this of performance so having the ability to go right well there's a this is a physiotherapist I work with when I had this injury they're really good they understand the sport or here's a dietitian who I've worked with when I've made weight that's a person to go and speak to because I can give you some general advice but having the ability to outsource and network to outsource with it
0: yeah that ability to develop your own network and know when to push yourself as a coach or when to step back and let someone else use their expertise to benefit the athlete you mentioned a lot about skill development and i found it quite interesting that you said it wasn't a big focus but there was a bit of a change in about three to four years ago if you are working with someone that is they have aspirations of being an mma fighter but they're quite new to the sport i would assume someone like that would have to have a big focus on skill development what kind of key things would someone of that caliber need to work on from a skill perspective in your opinion
1: so i think uh, someone who's just starting it sounds really it sounds obvious but i don't think enough people do it he's going to like a beginner's classes in certainly in in mma but also in like the sort of underlying disciplines of mixed martial arts so generally like brazilian jiu-jitsu wrestling boxing or kickboxing, and, and then usually mm-hmm. there'll be some kind of mixed martial arts class. And that's what I've wanted to set up, um, which I've, I've recently set up and already established, Jimmy in Sully, where I live. And that mm-hmm. is like a grassroots mixed martial arts program for guys who want to get into the sport, but the may struggle to sort of have that coaching to bring them up to speed to, to, a, to a decent level. What, what we tend to find... If you were to look at, say, the the city of Birmingham at the moment, we have some. We're probably one of the best cities in the country in terms of our athletes. But a lot of us have figured it out for ourselves over years and years of training different gyms different coaches and pieced it together ourselves through experience and through international travel and things of that nature for the guys so we have our 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 sessions and they're great and they are heavily influenced around building skills and refining skills expect more tactical considerations i would say than anything else sort of tactics and game planning and like really going over Mm -hmm. what we're already good at a lot of the time but beginners mm. come to those sessions or amateurs come to them sessions and, and I don't feel like they understand the bigger picture. So I think having not been afraid to go to beginner sessions is probably the best thing for someone starting out and learning the basics and fundamentals before trying to copy what some of the higher level pros do. Because we've mm. all been there. We've all gone to, we've all been white belts in jiu-jitsu and gone to class and Gone to beginner's class with a 40-year-old guy there who's just trying to do it as a hobby. And maybe you feel like, oh, well, I want to be a fighter, but I'm above that. But the truth be told is you're not. You need to go to the most foundational classes and build your skills from the ground up rather than trying to jump in and go, well, so-and-so does this. Or, you know, we have some very high-level guys in our gym. And just copying what they do now might not be the best thing for an aspiring amateur. They probably want to copy Mm. what they did five, ten years ago. Not exactly what they're doing now. So do you think people
0: typically rush their development? They see what they see on UFC, they see what they see on TV, Sky Sports, all of that sort of thing. And like, well, I want to get there. And they just rush their skill development uh, and maybe compete too early or too regularly too
1: soon. Yeah, yeah, I do, I do think so. And I think some of that probably comes down to the uh, culture of society right now in terms of social media and like having an, an image on social media. And I don't know, you call it clout chasing, I guess. <laughs> it's like trying to appear to be perhaps something you're not just yet. And instead of putting in some of the, it, it can be quite humbling to go and train, for example, jiu jitsu at a, a hobbyist class and get tapped out five times by a a dad of four who's 38 years old and a bit overweight but it's a humbling experience so it's more fun to go and train with the professionals all the time and I think sometimes that the development side of things does get rushed because people fight like you say people fight too soon or too often and usually then when you're competing it becomes about tactics conditioning and sort of game planning but if you don't have them underlying okay Underlined I mean I try to break mixed martial arts down into kind of four four key areas of technical, which is your that's your like how do I do a skill in kind of a closed environment, do I have the mechanics to do a, a perfect? combination on the pads or a a jiu-jitsu technique or a wrestling technique do I know what the key details are the key points the key coaching points things of that nature the tactical side which is what the kind of the focus tends to be on the higher end athletes is we all do what we are refining, but it's about how do we impart our game plan on our opponents or deal with our opponent's strengths or exploit his weaknesses and there's a lot more that's what I tend to see what I do myself and a lot of the other high-end guys do and then obviously the psychological side of things which again tends to be more important at the elite level. So, and then obviously things like injuries and sports injuries, but I think a lot don't spend enough time on a technical aspect. Mm. So they're trying to potentially game plan for things and do these do but they don't have underlying basics, if that makes sense. So they just struggle to carry out the game plan because they don't have the underlying technical ability to do so. You've
0: identified an area you think is lacking in people's development. So you have started a club to tackle that particular problem?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the way I want to, a kind of the way with, with the club that we have is I want to almost keep it an amateur club. And, and then mm. when guys are ready to turn over to professional, I have there's many good gyms in the city that I think are exceptional for like high-level guys. And I think it is just potentially creating, not creating, but having some separation between like uh, 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 lower-level amateurs and then the higher-end pros in terms of structure of training. And I think the same could be said for strength and conditioning as well. But we are a rare sport where on a Monday morning, there is at our pro practice that would we'll be on this morning. is in America right now, but you'd have someone like Leon Edwards who's fighting Nate Diaz on Saturday night, hmm. who's I think he's number four in the world right now. And you could also have a guy who's trained a little bit, never had a fight and he'll be turning up to the same training session, which is great. I mean, it's almost like the, the best thing in the sport sometimes is the autonomy of the sport, I guess, in terms of like there isn't strict procedures. It would be akin to, you know, a, a footballer just going and having a kick about with Cristiano Ronaldo. Hmm. You don't get that opportunity, right? So there are like very big pluses to the sport in that context, but also it can almost hinder development because you're trying to understand and do things that you haven't learned the preceding groundwork to do so
0: yeah that makes complete sense how does say an off-season training for i'm thinking more from an snc's perspective now you've got the off-season for a fighter and then it goes into like their fight prep how do the two differ like what would you really focus on in the off-season would it be more technical uh, and then as you move into race prep season would you then go into thinking more tactics psychological all of those uh, key things that you mentioned earlier
1: yeah, so and this is the I guess the state of the sport right now, where the higher end guys who are at the top can almost plan an off season and in season kind of uh, period, and the amateur sport is going that way a little bit more now. So, so generally in the off season, yeah, it will be things like skill development, perhaps some more emphasis on the individual facets of the sport. So, like your typical like boxing, Brazilian jiu jitsu, wrestling, Thai boxing, and perhaps in their purest form, so an actual boxing for boxing sake, doing jiu-jitsu, LA jiu-jitsu club for jiu-jitsu sake, which they all have different rules and constraints, which make them unique and potentially differ from the actual sport of mixed martial arts. Mm. But the, a little bit more time on actually maybe honing on the individual skills, strength and conditioning. It depends on the athlete to some extent in terms of, are they moving up a weight class or are they near the weight that may impair what you talk to do in terms of, generic but the big drivers of off-season for strength conditioning in my opinion driving maximal strength and sort of aerobic capacity most of the programming i do in the off-season has quite a big focus on those two things because of the effect that can have on downstream down the line in terms of peaking phases or starting to look at higher velocity movements or starting to do more intensive conditioning modalities as you would do in a fight prep a thing that's perhaps it's starting to get there but in terms of mixed martial arts s and in rugby, you do not train a, a, a winger like a prop. You, mm. The essence would potentially look different. The attributes are different. Uh, mixed martial arts, depending on the, the style of fighter, the weight class of the fighter, may dictate how they end up fighting and how, certainly how they end up potentially peaking. But the underpinning things of sort of maximal strength or strength development and aerobic capacity kind of complement whatever route they go when they do pigeonhole towards the specific needs of the athlete. So mm. that that's the philosophy I have on things. They also have a massive, they have a residual effect, right? So they last quite a long time. So by developing those kind of underpinning characteristics, that they, they don't detrain as easy as some of the other things, glycolytic endurance things of that nature. So like then it might be a case of well, if you had a striker who is competing, they may be more speed driven in terms of their peaking strategies, in terms of what they're trying to get out in terms of maybe a lot more on the velocity end of I know the force velocity curve mixed and things of that nature mm. in terms of differing opinions, but certainly in terms of like the more ballistic and, and velocity in nature, in terms of how their fighting style is. Whereas a wrestler may be driven towards more isometric contractions, maximal strength. So, so so two different fighters in the same weight class could have differing needs in terms of strength conditioning for mixed martial arts. But I do think
0: mm.
1: by developing max strength and aerobic capacity, no matter what way you end up diverging to to the athlete, they're always going to have they're going to aid. You know, even if you had a, a guy who explodes a lot and relies on on sort of short bursts, he needs to be able to recover from them and be able to go again. Vice versa, a guy who might be at constant pace, or by raising their lactate threshold, it may actually help akin to into like race pace if you can bump that pace up a little bit that's going to complement their f- start fighting style as well so that's the way I, I tend to approach mixed martial arts sort of off-season strength and conditioning is working on sort of the things that can underpin some of the more specific things in fight camp yeah i think that's
0: really cool and it, it simplifies it as well right so you're focusing on two particular qualities max strength and aerobic capacity while you focus on developing that technical skill and then it's only when you get to that sort of race prep section when things start to get more specific. Do you often see coaches try and make things more specific to certain wrestling and striking styles too early? So they're doing it in the off-season, say, when really they should be just developing that base, their aerobic base and strength base, and working on their uh, their skill set?
1: Yeah, I, I, I believe so. I think, I, think a lot, I think a lot of the, the strength conditioning sort of dogma of of, of mixed martial arts has always come down to that it's almost a self-funded sport Mm. so the who you work with is down to who you're willing to spend your money on and and it may mean that there's a quite a watered down product in terms of what who you work with who's actually working in the field a lot of the time so a lot of the time it may be just generic personal trainers who do a bit of strength work with someone or the friend or someone that they know or someone who will sponsor because it's not quite as organized as other as other professional sports but yeah, the, a common mistake I see is probably misunderstanding dynamic correspondences or what specific training is mm. in terms of simulating potentially wrestling kind of movements, striking movements in the weight room or in the training room in strength condition or mimicking the work-direct, like five-minute circuits and things of that nature to simulate a fight. Um I don't I personally don't believe you need to do it at all, but hmm. I can see some potential merit of doing it near fight time. But people doing fight circuits three months away from a fight for me potentially shows a lack of understanding in terms of like long-term energy system development and what's required from the sport. In a perfect world, how I would like to structure people's off seasons would be In the weight room, having a a big focus on improving maximal strength and almost keeping everything else in a little bit, like vertical integration kind of style, as in like you'll still be doing some power development in the warm-ups, still be doing some accessory work, but predominantly making the the key focus on maximal strength potentially in the Mm. off-season and then aerobic capacity. But in an ideal world, then getting aerobic capacity from our skills work, I'm of the belief a lot of people get tired, not only because they might not be physiologically capable of certain outputs, but they're just they're technically not good enough. So they're wasting energy. I mean, the greatest example I can always give is, is like Khabib Nurmagomedov, who's mm. arguably regarded as the best fighter, certainly of the past five years. Everyone who fights him gets exhausted, absolutely exhausted. And these are some of the fittest fighters in the world, but he's technically better. He dominates position he's tactically aware all of these things play into conditioning as well so from my point of view like from an off season if we can be getting our aerobic capacity work with skill development i I think that's a way we can drive adaptations while also getting technically better Uh,
0: you've stated this is your approach but you also think it's a bit of an issue within the sort of fighting community and preparation for fighting do you see this issue as well at the elite like ufc level as well so it isn't just like our amateur fighters are making this mistake Pro fighters are also making this mistake.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like super common. It is getting better because recently the UFC have invested in the Performance Institute mm. in Las Vegas and they've produced they've produced a fantastic handbook. I think it's about four hundred pages. On strength and conditioning for mixed martial arts literally covering everything you could ever want to know at this point in time collecting all research in-house research plus external research mm. on the sport and it is phenomenal and it gives a direction of training for guys but athletes still have complete autonomy over what they do so i'd say this is something I've ch- I'd say i've changed my mind on but maybe three years ago two years ago i was very much of the opinion of like People are doing this wrong, and I can't believe how hmm. fighters are doing X, Y, and Z. Because because it makes if you look, it makes no a lot of stuff makes no logical sense. And but the more I look now, I, I believe that if a fighter believes in in something and they can consistently do it year round, it's going to yield the best results, regardless of what that modality or training is. And and I know it's probably. A bit hard to hear because a lot of us we spend a lot of time working on like the the best programming and we get our qualifications and we get all of these things. But fighters aren't forced to work with someone who's qualified. So in my experience, the best thing, the best outcomes of fighters who have seen. Whether I disagree or agree with the programming that's been done, is the people who do it consistently and believe in it, mm. regardless of what that training method may be. And I can see that from UFC fighters all the way down to amateur. That may be we have fighters who do gymnastics training alone. Now, some of it's got great merit, some of it, there's, there's obviously holes in the methodology and there's certain things that are missing, but they do it year round. They're in great shape. What I'm saying is, I used to be quite a perfectionist in terms of programming, and I still am in terms of what product I deliver. But I, I have friends who do different programs, different styles of training, and the biggest thing that's led to success of a program really is just that the consistency to it.
0: No, that's uh, that does make sense. I, I was starting to reflect on my question because I was calling uh, it a mistake, but I guess it's you know you have your opinion on how someone should train, and you know you have your own SNC philosophy uh, and your approach has a really strong rationale behind it. So, but it's still like your opinion. So if someone trains slightly different, you're saying, no, I think you should do this. It's not saying it's a mistake, it's wrong, but it's, you know, I personally think for these reasons why well, it can improve. It's also quite an impressive or an important message around consistency. There are going to be a number of approaches, but as long as you are uh, consistent with your approach, you're still going to improve. And I guess it's those Is it those athletes that are constantly, oh, do this. No, I've just read about this. I'm going to do that instead. Oh, I've just read about this. Oh, I'm going to change it again. It's that constant flipping between approaches is what slows down their progression. Whereas really, like you stick to one, be consistent with it year in, year out. That's where you're going to start getting results.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was very much a couple of years back of the opinion of like, I used to think, why have I gone and got certified why do I, why am I doing a master's program to then see someone do something that's just completely obtruse a lot of the time and I still think we should be driving for better standards within strength and conditioning in our sport but I do also see the value perhaps value of just doing something with complete intent and belief as equally as important as the perfect program especially in, in a sport where it does make a difference obviously strength and conditioning, but I also think like not probably as much as we think in mixed martial arts. You know, it's, it's, a, de- it's a delicate balance, right? Because you want to give the best practice possible, but also you got to understand that, like, these athletes are, are very individual and sometimes they do crazy things and hmm. maybe because they're a little bit special and they're a little bit, they like doing this, that might be their edge when they compete. Hmm. And if you were to take them away and talk rational and have everything rational and have everything purposefully planned, that there might be, in um, theory, would be the best trend ever, but maybe psychologically they struggle. They're sort of the things I go back and forth between best practice and then also going, you know what, if this athlete's happy doing this and he's making progress doing this, it's better than him doing a programme half-assed or changing from programme to programme or coach to coach than just just sticking to, sticking to one belief system, potentially. I still think there's probably a better way, but I can see the merit of, of the athlete side a little bit more now than I used to.
0: I mean, I I, can, I love your, your philosophy and I, I completely agree with it. Maybe I'm being biased here, but I think people take either advantage or they don't appreciate skill learning as much as they should and developing that while developing a base and then just going into the specifics when they need to when they're headed towards a specific goal like a, a fight. So I'm, I guess, quite biased because I love that approach and I think that approach should be applied in other sports as well. So I can see the application of that to yours but i guess you know highlights what you were saying there's a lot of science there's a lot of like rationale behind that particular approach but they don't have they don't have that psychological edge or if they don't believe in it and they don't have that intention going into it then it's not the best approach isn't it so it's like that's the thing that's the overriding factor determining if something's effective or not so it's, it, it shows just how many different factors are all involved with developing a fighter and the importance of i think it's the four factors you mentioned earlier the technical technical psychological comment remember the, the other one as well but those are the four key pillars and you need to make sure that all four of them are good to create a, a very good fighter
1: yeah and i think the big thing is communication so this is the one thing that i think Perhaps either, either the head of MMA coach or the S&C coach, this is the biggest thing that I think that we need to have. That Where I think the education does matter, and that's sort of having an, an overriding mm. training plan for the week or month, including technical stuff, including conditioning, including strength work, and communicating with other coaches. So, like, I'm quite a big fan of sort of the high-low models of training and things of that mm. nature. But if you've got a, a wrestling practice on a Monday morning and that's your, your high day, so you might have wrestling and you might have strength and conditioning, maybe some strength and power development on the evening. But on Tuesday's your low day, but you've got boxing and he decides to put you in for sparring. And then you go and do a, a random 5K run on the night. And then Wednesday, you're sparring again. It, if there's not synergy in terms of everything, you're giving conflicting Training goals and training objectives, and I think it doesn't need to be the SNC coach. It could be the head MMA coach if they're so qualified. The biggest thing I think what we bring to the table in terms of strength position is sort of understanding training load, training volume, and, and trying to piece together as a bigger picture rather than being. Which maybe we don't. Maybe we just communicate with the skills coach, but actually having it as, a, as one piece rather than we do our strength and conditioning and then they go to boxing and then they do the boxing coach and then they go to wrestling and they go to the wrestling coach. Sort of having a, being able to account for like training volume, training load, what we're trying to drive at different phases of training whether it's off season whether it's 12 weeks out eight weeks out four weeks out how we could even have a a quiet word with the skills coach and maybe try and drive some of our adaptations from their skills Mm -hmm. sessions if we can get have some kind of input I think that's going to create the best martial artists the least injured like we can't reduce injury but we can do a better job of kind of managing burnout and and managing sort of like most injuries I see in mixed martial arts are are from doing stupid things Mm -hmm. rather than when people are fresh and sparring, they tend to be more doing like they're overrun, they're fatigued. They knew they shouldn't have done that extra round there, but no one was there to tell them you're done for today, go home. Those kinds of things, having a an overriding control over the training week. I see and a lot of team sports. Coaches are talking online about you know the, the this return to play kind of criteria. You know, like the Gaelic and rugby have come back on come back mm-hmm. to training now, and they can have the best injury prevention protocols in the world in terms of strength conditioning but if that's not carried over to the sports practice it's kind of a fool's errand Mm. so you know if if you if you're just doing burners and and gases in your your pitch work and doing repeat sprints no no rest no recovery you're going to burn out and it's the same with mixed martial arts I think having a a bit more of an understanding between a friend of mine now is actually over in America One one of the guys I coach and he coaches a lot he coaches some of our athletes He's over there with Leon and he said that their facilities now, it's how it's, it's their doctors, physical therapists, strength conditioning coaches, skills coaches, all have regular meetings and work as a team. Mm. Whereas in, in England still, we're a little bit behind that. We have independent coaches that we all go to differently, if that makes sense. So I think the future will be following that kind of blueprint where we have a, a team of healthcare professionals and strength conditioning coaches, dietitians, skills coaches working in Unison rather than working independently. And that'll produce that will be the best thing for the athletes down the line, I think.
0: Yeah, certainly. It, that seems to be the thing that develops in sports as they start to copy other sports that have had a lot of money put into them. They've grown quite globally successful. All the different coaches coming together. And because they've got so many different factors and coaches along with it, they have no choice but to improve their communication skills. Because if they don't, because you've got too many factors now involved, like without the communication, nothing will work so yeah uh, that does seem to be something that has developed in different sports at different speeds so it'd be interesting to see how that like you said starts to really come together in the UK in the next few years
1: yeah, and I think that'll be the thing that sort of the, that's the, the thing with the the grassroots project that kind of the amateur sport that I'm hoping. it's unlikely but I would love to see it become an Olympic sport or Mm. follow that kind of route and I know the infrastructure now is starting to follow things like GB judo GB boxing in terms of our coaching accreditations in terms of competition schedules in terms of starting to slowly offer athlete support there's not the funding there right now but we are starting to look more and more like an Olympic sport that's what I want to hopefully have some kind of influence on down the line He's trying to make the sport because the sport's given me so much and in my life in terms of just development as a person but trying to make it we can make it even better towards being a recognized sport where like I went to university the first time around and there were athletes on scholarships because of the sport they played but mixed martial arts isn't recognized so like how we could you know we could actually really improve the quality of our mixed martial arts athletes' lives by it being a more recognised sport. It may offer education, it may offer opportunities to compete around the world, it may offer coaching jobs. It it would just be a really good thing for the athletes and for for the community, I think, as well, to have uh, a mixed martial art, to be a legitimised sport, because I do think it offers a lot to young people. I mean, that's a side topic in terms of youth crime and things of that nature, but I think it is one sport that continually boxing and mixed martial arts in the uk does seem to help those mm. kinds of situations and the current problems we have but there just isn't a ton of funding or, or professionalism yet in the sport i think if we had that it would make us have better athletes down the line but it'd also help us provide better support for our communities
0: now that's a wicked message yeah chris i've learned so much today that's been amazing what's the name of your new grassroots club it'd be great to get this on the show notes and just advertise it out
1: it's based at Combat Sports Centre in Solly Hall. It's already an amateur boxing club and kickboxing club, but we've just started now to to start branching towards amateur mixed martial arts. There's also other good clubs which I'm members. I've trained at in Birmingham, mm. Fearless MMA and Renegade MMA. They're probably the two premier gyms in in Birmingham for sort of the professional level. They're, without that, they're the three three big gyms in Birmingham in, in regards to mixed martial arts.
0: Ah, cool. We'll put the links in the, the show notes. Definitely. How can people get in contact with you if they have any further questions or if they want s support?
1: So I have my Instagram, which is Coaching, And I also have a website, which is just com. There's a contact form on either of them and a link to on my Instagram that you can get in contact with me. If it's for coaching inquiries, go through the website because it will send an automated email through. But if it's just for general questions and just general conversations, feel free to shoot me a message. I'm pretty open on DMs and I uh, talk to a lot of people. So I'm just trying to raise awareness a little bit in the sport. So I'm happy to answer questions and and give some general advice or whatever. So yeah, feel free to message.
0: Nah, wicked. And anyone interested in MMA, definitely take chris up on that offer just as a final question and this is a question we ask all of our guests if you could choose a guest to be on the progress theory who would you choose and this doesn't have to be within mma or snc it could be anything like who would you choose
1: you know he's probably pretty cringe but i'd I'd actually like to hear the rock yes (laughs) the the pro wrestler you know obviously he's probably childhood hero but I've, i've actually very rarely actually heard him talk to someone on a podcast or anything like that across the board in terms of an honest account so uh, yeah probably someone like The Rack
0: yeah yeah I'm surprised he hasn't been on Rogan yet he hasn't been on Rogan has he
1: no no that's that's what I mean I've never actually heard him have a have a, a deep honest conversation and I think he's done a lot for kind of positivity he, a lot of people look up to him as a bit of a role My yeah and, definitely uh, he's probably one of the better ones around so in celebrity limelight so yeah I'd like to hear about his story a little bit more
0: well, I'll, I'll send out feelers to his team <laughs> See send, if he'll come send, on here.
1: send some messages
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. fingers crossed anyway brilliant Chris Yeah, thank you so much for coming on it's been brilliant uh, I, I take, I'll speak to you soon
1: yeah thank you thanks Phil
0: cheers mate thank you Chris for coming on to the Progress Theory and talking about his work in MMA and strength and conditioning I loved hearing about his background and how he got into the sport It's one of those stories you love to hear where someone has used sport to shape them as a person and it's led them to some great successes. After this episode, I watched the YouTube links Chris sent me of his fights and the guy's an absolute machine. So check them out too. I've put the YouTube links in our show notes. I just wanted to provide some final thoughts on some key areas of the chat with Chris, which really resonated with me. Firstly, his message of mastering the basics people in many different areas of life they copy the professionals or they accelerate their development too quickly without putting in the time to master the basics. In fact many of the stories I read from professionals all say that mastering the basics is the key to success. Chris really emphasizes how important this is in MMA as whatever happens in a fight you'll always have your mastered skill set to fall back on. If this isn't developed and you fatigue heavily during a fight you can be in serious trouble. And this message seems even more important when ignoring this could result in you getting knocked out. And secondly, what I think makes Chris stand out is his ability to learn what is missing throughout his career and then trying to solve that within his coaching career. Fighters accelerating their development too quickly, for example. Well, he started Combat Sports Centre, which has a philosophy on working on the basics. Communication between coaches is poor. Well... Chris has enhanced his coaching in overseeing the skill and physical development of the athlete while bringing in experts in other areas like nutrition. He's the coordinator, which will help make sure all coaches are working in unison towards the same goal. He's providing the expertise, the culture and the management skills which are essential for success in MMA. I'm looking forward to what Chris does next. Check out his Instagram. To see if he does fight in the near future anyways i hope you enjoyed this episode to find more of our episodes please head to our website theprogresstheory.com where you can download our podcast or watch the full episode via our youtube link we will see you in the next one